Hi everyone, I'm Michael Millerman and this is Millerman Talks. Today's topic is Carl Schmitt's book, The Concept of the Political. Before I start, I think it's fair for you to ask why you should care at all about Carl Schmitt. He wrote this book in 1932, so quite a long time ago. The next year he joined the Nazi party, so you might think he's both out of date and morally compromised. Um, isn't there something else you could be reading? Isn't there something else we could be discussing? Well, there are actually a couple of reasons why it's worth spending time uh, on Carl Schmidt. The first is that he's typically seen as one of the leading lights of right-wing anti-liberalism, together, for example, with Martin Heidegger. Uh, he's just such a crucial figure in the criticism of liberalism from the right that if you think there's any resurgence of right-wing anti-liberalism today, for example, in uh, populism, ethno-nationalism, and that type of thing, then there's a lot to be gained by reading his books and better understanding sort of the logic of that way of seeing uh, political life. The other thing is that there are contemporary figures who refer explicitly to Schmitt's uh, writings. So it's not just that he helps us to see the situation better. It's that there are people in the situation who are drawing on his works um, expressly. Incidentally, both on the left and on the right, um, because there are leftist Schmidians who used his criticism of liberalism to try to establish a, a leftist political, a leftist concept of the political. Uh, that'll make more sense as we go through this. But he's he belong he himself belongs on the right and has inspired many figures on the right. Uh, for example, here's Carl Schmidt today by Alain de Benoit writing about his relevance. Alexander Dugan, someone whose works um, I translate and make videos about, he's referring to Schmidt uh, in his writings. Um, and they're not, they're not the only ones, although they may be a few of the most prominent ones. So Schmidt helps us to understand the situation uh, in those ways. And here's, here's another, uh, another example, Ricardo Duquesne's book, Canada in Decay, Mass Immigration, Diversity, and the Ethno Side of Euro-Canadians. Uh, is basically all about Schmidt's concept of the political in the fourth section, where he says Canada used to see itself as um, predominantly French and British, but as we entered a mode of multicultural discourse, uh, we lost a concept of the political. Um, and he uses Schmidt for that analysis. Now, that'll make more sense to you as we go through the book, um, so we can turn to that now, although I want to just say in passing that um, the author of this book I just showed you, Canada in Decay, uh, Ricardo Duquesne, he's in the middle of a bit of a scandal at his university. Huffington Post is reporting that 100 or more faculty members uh, are protesting what they call his racism. And part of that, a large part of that, has to do with the reassertion of the political and how that rubs certain people the wrong way. So let's try to get a sense of why, why that is. What is the concept of the political for Schmidt? Why does it drive some liberals crazy? What's its appeal to right and left-wing anti-liberals? Um, let's get right into it. Schmidt starts off his book by saying that the concept of the state presupposes the concept of the political. So he doesn't go immediately with the political, he starts with the state. Now, the state is a key concept in political theory. 
there are there have been absolutist states total states neutral states or if it's easier to think about this way democratic states authoritarian states but the state itself is a key a key concept in political theory um but schmidt says you can't think clearly about the state without thinking clearly about the political because the state presupposes the political so although he opens with the question of the state he shifts right to well what what is what is political about the state what is political itself what do we mean when we call something political um some thinkers he says and you may already know they blur the lines between state and society so they don't necessarily talk about the political, but rather the social. For example, social justice or social welfare. Um, and whenever you see the social, talk about the social, replacing, talk about the political, uh, you see this situation where society is encroaching on the state, according to Schmidt. But all of that is really important to understand, the relationship between state and society between the political and the social. But for now, our goal is just to understand what the political is. One way to do that, Schmidt says, is to look at specifically political categories. So he says, look, look at morality, for instance. You have specifically moral categories of good and evil. Or if you take aesthetics, well, the specifically aesthetic categories, he says, are beautiful and ugly. So a basic pair or basic distinction that gives meaning, a fundamental basic meaning to that uh, concept. So good and evil in morality, ugly and beautiful in aesthetics, and in economics, the profitable and unprofitable. So, all right, he says then, what could be the characteristic criteria of the political? Is there a special distinction that can help us to specify what makes something political? His answer, as some of you may know, his answer is the friend-enemy distinction. Good and evil, morality, ugly and beautiful, aesthetics, profitable and unprofitable economics, friend and enemy, the political. Something is political when it concerns friends and enemies. That, now, these things are all distinct. So he says the enemy doesn't have to be evil or ugly. And in economic relations, economic relations with the enemy can be profitable. You see, so the political is, doesn't collapse into the moral or into the economic or into any other category. It's not reducible to those other categories. And disputes, for example, religious disputes, or disputes over some issue, they can become political once they become so intense as to form a friend-enemy grouping. The enemy, Schmidt says, is the other, the stranger. And it's sufficient for his nature that he is, in a specially intense way, existentially something different and alien, so that in the extreme case, conflicts with him are possible. An enemy exists only when, at least potentially, one fighting collectivity of people confronts a similar collectivity. In other words, an enemy for Schmidt is a public enemy. It's a group of people. It's not a single private adversary. It's a group of people who potentially can kill you. The real possibility of physical killing is 
essential to the concept of the political. Um, now, the fact that the enemy is always uh, public and not private, it's always a group and not just a single adversary. <clears throat> Schmidt makes that point with the commentary on the Christian idea of love your enemy, the Christian imperative of love your enemy. So here's what he writes about that. Never in the thousand-year struggle between Christians and Muslims did it occur to a Christian to surrender rather than defend Europe out of love toward the Muslims, the Turks. So in other words, love your enemy doesn't mean love your political enemy. It doesn't mean embrace the people that want to destroy you, according to Schmidt. Now, if you think that today Christians are surrendering Europe to their political enemies, um, that would be evidence for Schmidt that Christians have lost their sense of a concept of the political, uh, probably through excessive influence of liberal depoliticization. So the political is the most ex intense and extreme antagonism for Schmidt. The more that antagonism increases to the point of forming a friend-enemy grouping, the more political that issue um, over which there's an antagonism becomes. In this sense, we maybe can also say that the phrase political Islam draws a contrast with non-political Islam by suggesting that in political Islam, enmity against non-Muslims has reached, or maybe against other types of Muslims, has reached an intensity that produces a friend-enemy grouping oriented toward the real possibility of physical killing. So again, to call something political means you have a grouping of friends and enemies, a public grouping <clears throat> oriented toward the possibility of real killing. Related to Schmidt's analysis of the political as this intense and extreme antagonism is his view that all political concepts have a polemical meaning. So even the description of political life is not neutral. It's already oriented towards friends and enemies. Here's what he writes about that. Words such as state, republic, society, class, as well as sovereignty, constitutional state, absolutism, dictatorship, economic planning, neutral or total state, and so on, are incomprehensible if one does not know exactly who is to be affected, combated, refuted, or negated by such a term. That's an insight worth keeping in mind, and many of you already know that if you just listen to some of the political discourse today, this uh, polemical nature is very easy to see. Uh, pro-life, pro-choice, anti-fascist, fascist, racist, all the rest of it. Um, but it's interesting to think that even the more apparently neutral terms can't be understood unless you understand who they are combating, what their polemical significance is. The most extreme consequence of the friend-enemy grouping is war. The existential negation of the enemy, as he puts it. Now, Schmidt claims he's not pro-war or anti-war or arguing that war is good or bad, since that's a moral distinction which doesn't belong to the concept of the political. He's merely establishing conceptual clarity. War is the most extreme possibility because it has direct reference to combat and death. As Leo Strauss writes in his notes on Schmidt's book, which are included in the expanded edition of it, for Schmidt, the assertion of the political, the, the defense of the political, 
<clears throat> reflects his preference for the serious man willing to risk his life for a cause. Schmidt seems to have a low opinion of an unserious, non-political life. Um, and you get a sense of that in passages like the following one. A world in which the possibility of war is utterly eliminated, a completely pacified globe, would be a world without the distinction of friend and enemy, and hence a world without politics. Um, something liberals might want, but right-wing anti-liberals are horrified by it. It is conceivable, he says, that such a world might contain many very interesting antitheses and contrasts, competitions and intrigues of every kind. But there would not be a meaningful antithesis, whereby men could be required to sacrifice life, authorized to shed blood, and kill other human beings. Now, it's not that Schmidt wants sacrifice, blood, and death, but... He thinks that a life where no one cares deeply enough about something to die for it, it seems that he thinks that a life of that kind is frivolous and shallow. Leo Strauss uses just that observation to argue, persuasively, I think, um, that Schmidt himself is thinking like a liberal in the following sense. Liberals tolerate life plans and projects that are peaceful, without regard to their substantial content. Well, Schmidt, the polar opposite, but still uh, formally liberal, tolerates all serious plans and projects oriented toward the possibility of war, all serious commitments oriented toward, you know, where your life is at stake, but also without regard to their substantial content. As long as you're a serious man willing to, willing to risk your life, it doesn't seem to matter from this work anyways, exactly what it is you're willing to risk your life for, the content of that commitment. But Strauss argues that the most important criterion, according to which people become friends and enemies, is the substantive question of what is right, of the right way of life or of the good. <clears throat> so Schmidt said that Strauss, in his notes on the concept of the political, had seen through him like an x-ray. So this isn't just, Strauss's commentary on Schmidt isn't just some one of many uh, reactions to it. It's one that Schmidt himself said saw the key issues deeply and profoundly. Um, so it's worth, when you read the concept of the political, it's worth keeping that in mind and reading it together with Strauss's uh, observations. Well, another point in Schmidt is that the state, okay, so remember, we have what is the key concept, what is the key distinction in the concept of political? Friend and enemy. An enemy is not just a private adversary, but a public a grouping, for example, a nation organized in a state, ready to go to war and to kill, and to be killed. Well, another point in Schmidt is that it's the state who decides who the enemy is and whether to go to war. So there actually has to be, someone has to decide about the enemy. And that's what makes the state essentially political. The state is essentially political because the state makes a decision about who are to be its enemies. Quoting now, as long as a politically united people is prepared to fight for its existence, independence, and freedom, 
on the basis of a decision emanating from the political entity. This specifically political question has primacy over the technical means by which the war will be waged, the nature of the army's organization, and what the prospects are for winning the war. In other words, the crucial thing is that the nation, a people, and its organized state makes a decision about who its enemy is. That's the fundamentally political decision. The rest is obviously also largely important, but a technicality compared to the fundamental decision. And if, if a state doesn't determine who its friends and enemies are, then it no longer exists politically. There's no way around that. You can't get out of the political as he analyzes uh, in a masterful way. You can't get out of the political by declaring war on war, the war to end all wars, or by claiming that you have no enemies because you are for all of humanity. You're just on the side of humanity. You are for peace and against war. You see, even in that formulation, to be against war is already to have decided that people opposite you are your enemies. But that logic buries itself, hides itself, masks itself, and uh, acts under the facade of good intentions. But nevertheless, Schmidt says, humanity is among those polemical political concepts invoked to suggest that anyone opposed to you is doesn't even belong to humanity. Maybe is in like, I don't know, a basket of deplorables or something like that. But even worse, because when you're outside of humanity, you can be destroyed in the most inhumane means. So here's how Schmidt puts it. It would be a mistake to believe that a nation could eliminate the distinction of friend and enemy by declaring its friendship for the entire world or by voluntarily disarming itself. The world will not thereby become depoliticized and it will not be transplanted into a condition of pure morality, pure justice, or pure economics. If a people is afraid of the trials and risks implied by existing in the sphere of politics, then another people will appear, which will assume these trials by protecting it against foreign enemies and thereby taking over political rule. The protector then decides who the enemy is by virtue of the eternal relation of protection and obedience. The world, in short, can't be depoliticized or neutralized, despite what liberals might think and might want others to think. So we should see things clearly and understand who our enemies are and our friends. Now, there's so much more to this book, but I have only wanted to give you an overview whet your appetites and pique your curiosity. And I encourage you to buy the book, or go to a library and take it out uh, of the library and read it. It's not much more than 100 pages, including Strauss's essay. And it gets to the point. It gets to the point quickly, sharply, clearly, and in a way that will make you think. Really, can you ask for much more? Um, besides getting relevant insights into contemporary right-wing anti-liberalism, um, reading Schmidt opens the door, I would say, to many other thoughtful responses to his book that don't fall into uh, you know, Alain de Benoit or uh, the ethno side of Euro-Canadians, a totally different direction of interpretation. 
For example, Jacques Derrida's book, The Politics of Friendship, which examines the concept of the political from the side of the friend rather than the enemy. So you, you could do much worse and not much better as a starting point. Um, also, I should say that if you, if you read the concept of the political, you can then go to other works by Schmidt, but even more interestingly from my perspective, if you combine Schmidt with the Strauss essay that's in the back, where Strauss says Schmidt himself is still within the horizons of liberalism, and therefore if we want to critique liberalism from beyond liberalism, not just by inverting it, as I said, where liberals tolerate peaceful alternatives without regard to their content, and Schmidt tolerates serious uh, life-risking alternatives without regard to their content. If you want to get beyond that, Strauss says, beyond the horizon of liberalism, towards a genuine criticism of liberalism, uh, Strauss actually points the way, surprisingly, because usually it's the other way around. People see Strauss maybe as a Cold War liberal, and Schmidt as the anti-liberal, but here it's a little bit inverted. Strauss says, Schmidt, you're too liberal, and uh, I can show you how to get beyond liberalism, which ends up taking, uh, taking us to Hobbes, a figure of great importance to both Schmidt and Strauss, and then past Hobbes to classical political philosophy, uh, to platonic political philosophy. So whether you branch out to Strauss, Hobbes, Plato, or whether you branch out through Schmidt to Derrida or other readers, some of whom are on the left, um, this is a really rich and fascinating work. I think it can throw light on so many things. And uh, as I say, you can read it. You can read it in an afternoon or in an evening. That's, that's all I have to say uh, on this occasion. If you enjoyed the discussion, please like the video, share it, subscribe to the channel. And I'd love to know uh, what you think. If you've read Schmidt, if anything that you heard today resonated with you, Maybe you know de Benoit's books or Ricardo Duquesne's books or Derrida or anybody else who's written about these things. Uh, I'd love to know what you think. So please um, comment below. And that's really it for today. So thanks so much for watching. See you next time.